Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 110, Rattle My Cage, describing some ways to do chemistry with Buckminster Fullerene, the soccer ball-shaped molecule. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. We're in the 1990s, and a chemical fad of the decade was nanoparticles, which all started with Buckminster Fullerene, that soccer ball shaped molecule with 60 carbon atoms, and some of its less spherical siblings like C70. We're chemists. So, it's not just enough to discover a new molecular family. Can we do actual chemistry with these molecules? Well, yes. Let's take a closer look at C60. It's a hollow soccer ball with an outside diameter of one nanometer, an empty space practically begging for some atom or molecule inside. The inside diameter of a buckyball is 0.39 nanometers, so that's a pretty snug fit to pack actual molecules inside. The hydrogen molecule, H2, has a bond length between the hydrogen atoms of only 0.07 or 0.08 nanometers, so that could fit inside. Except for smaller molecules, we can pretty much ignore the idea of trapping a molecule inside C60. But what about single atoms? A quick check of atomic diameters show that they vary from about 0.06 nanometers for helium, all the way up to 0.6 nanometers for cesium. The largest atoms tend to be at the bottom left of the periodic table, where there are only a few electrons in the outermost shells furthest from the nucleus. Another place where the largest atoms are is the lanthanide section, one of the rows of the periodic table placed at the bottom. Therefore, maybe we can grab one atom of these sorts and get it somehow inside a buckyball. And this is precisely what Rick Smalley's group found as they wrote, Quote, Within a week of the initial 1985 discovery of the special stability of C60 and the proposal of its soccer ball structure, evidence was obtained in our laboratory that a single lanthanum atom could be trapped inside. Unquote. They put the atom inside by mixing lanthanum oxide with graphite, pure carbon, into a rod shape and zapped it with a laser, while flowing inert argon gas past the rod to carry whatever crud the laser created away from the rod. Of course, how do you write a chemical formula for such a beast trapped in a cage? In 1991, Smalley's group proposed the notation, still used today, using the at sign. So, one lanthanum atom inside C60 is written as LA at C60. In that paper, they also reported the containment of a potassium atom inside C60, making 
K at C60. Interestingly, the at sign has much more colorful names in many other languages. In many languages, it's likened to a monkey, especially a monkey's curly tail, such as German Klammeraffe, Dutch Appenstartje, Maupa in Polish, or Maimunsko in Bulgaria. Some Nordic languages compare it to an elephant's trunk, such as Danish and Swedish snabel a. Other languages call it a snail, such as Italian kichiola or golbang e in Korean. Perhaps the most picturesque to me is the Hebrew name strudel. Anyway, the technical term for such molecules containing something inside is endohedral. From Greek endon, internal, and edra, face of a geometrical solid, and all these globular carbon molecules like C60 are now called fullerenes. A fullerene with no atom inside is an empty fullerene. Throughout the 1990s, scientists generally used this laser zapping or passing a large electrical arc across electrodes. To get a variety of metal atoms trapped inside different fullerene cages, such as La at C82, and then even two metal atoms or three metal atoms inside, or in an unusual case, three scandium plus two carbon atoms trapped inside the larger fullerene C80. But with these methods, it's tough to get high purity samples for proper analysis. Beyond the physical trapping of an atom inside a molecule, is there some kind of chemical event going on? It turns out, yes. For a lanthanum atom, which is generally plus three valence, the lanthanum gives up three valence electrons to the C82 cage surrounding it. This makes the cage plus atom like a metal salt, but one which cannot dissociate. The atom is trapped inside, unlike sodium chloride. Another way to look at the La at C82 molecule. Is to consider it like the lithium intercalation compounds, in which metal cations get caught between layers of anions. A discovery in 1999 added to the possible molecules contained inside a fullerene. American chemist Harry Dorn and his colleagues reported getting a trimetal nitride, that is, three metal atoms attached to a nitrogen atom. All packed inside a C80 molecule, which is slightly larger inside than C60. They were able to make such trapped bits using different lanthanide atoms, but their best success was triscandium nitride, or SC3N at C80. They could easily purify out the desired product using an old organic chemistry reaction, the Diels-Alder reaction. German chemists Otto Diels and Kurt Alder discovered this general reaction in 1928. It's an addition reaction in which a conjugated organic molecule, that is, with alternating single and double bonds, 
adds to a double bond to make a ring molecule. The Diels-Alder reaction is well known now in organic chemistry, and if you took organic chemistry as an undergraduate, you have heard of it. Many organic reactions like this are named for their discoverers, and I hope to do an episode on named reactions. So, in Dorn's case, he used the structural property of a fullerene, that is, the carbon atoms have lots of double bonds, and added to the fullerene a molecule with a cyclopentadiene on the end. Cyclopentadiene is a five-carbon ring with two double bonds, and thus is conjugated. The cyclopentadiene added to a double bond on the fullerene and created a ring structure. Using the reaction, they were able to purify out only those fullerenes with atoms trapped inside. The SC3N at C80 seems to have a very low reactivity, so anything else underwent a Diels-Alder reaction. The Cuban-American chemist Luis Echegoyan, by the 2000s, was able to isolate all sorts of endohedral fullerenes, anywhere from C68 to C88. He was also able to make sulfur-containing molecules stay inside fullerenes, using sulfur dioxide as a gas source. The molecules he synthesized include SCS2 at C82. Japanese researcher Sumio Iijima got titanium atoms inside C78 around that time as well, and even presented electron micrographs showing black dots of dititanium dicarbide, or atoms, inside the fullerene cages. Right now, there is no obvious practical use for these endohedral molecular cages. But you might imagine with the right cage and the right molecule, using these systems as drug transportation nanodevices. Perhaps you can jam a radioactive metal atom inside such a fullerene and bring it to a cancerous tumor, for example. Fullerenes don't break down easily inside living tissues, so they might be good to transport dangerous, or reactive drugs only to a particular spot in one's body and not decompose before getting there. The downside to said fullerenes is that if they don't easily break down, how could your body remove them after being used? There are still many unanswered questions here. Here's another weirdness with endohedral fullerenes. They are ovoid or spherical. Can we squeeze them into single-wall carbon nanotubes, which we've already discussed? Yes. Such molecules, fullerenes caught inside nanotubes, were first observed in 1998 by John Fisher and David Lutzi and friends, and reported in the journal Chemical Physics Letters. They called these structures P-pods, because the C60 molecules appear like peas in a pod. Soon thereafter, fullerenes with atoms trapped inside were also observed. So now we've talked of endohedral compounds. What about exohedral fullerenes? That is, 
fullerenes with some kind of group of atoms attached to the external surface of the cage? Again, yes. Buckminster fullerene is not an aromatic molecule, unlike its two-dimensional cousin, benzene. This means C60 is covered with recognizable single and double bonds. Double bonds are known in organic chemistry to be reactive, and one example is the addition reaction, where a molecule attaches itself to the carbons connected by a double bond, breaking the pi bond and leaving only a sigma bond connecting the carbons. The problem is that C60 is literally covered with lots of double bonds, so it's hard to control what products you get. But among the reactants you can get to attach to C60 include amines with the structure RnH2, that is an organic tail and two hydrogens attaching to the valence 3 nitrogen atom. An organic molecule, a benzene ring attached to a magnesium, and the other valence electron of the magnesium hooks on to a bromine atom. This is called a Grignard reagent. Another one of those named reactions we'll talk some other time about. Reacting this Grignard reagent with C60 gives you a bunch of, actually 10, benzene rings and 10 methyl groups attached to the soccer ball. You can add organometallic bits to C60. You can add halogen atoms like fluorine, chlorine, and bromine to C60. You can add hydrogen atoms also to buckyball. You can add oxygen atoms across one of C60's double bonds. You can react C60 with free radicals. We've talked of free radicals, molecules with an unpaired electron. So, for example, take a disulfide with an organic group hanging off of each sulfur atom. Mix it with C60, shine a bright light onto the mixture, and you get a product, C60, with a sulfur organic radical. You can electrochemically reduce C60, meaning adding electrons to C60, though oxidation removing electrons is difficult. You can complex C60 with metals. So far, there aren't a lot of commercial applications for C60 or its derivatives, whether endohedral or exohedral. I mentioned adding halogens, such as fluorine, to C60. It turns out that buckyball gets remarkably fluorinated, coming out something like Teflon as a white or yellowish solid, first reported in the early 1990s. But attempts to commercialize it as a lubricant have pretty much flopped. Likewise, I noted that you can add hydrogen to double bonds that abound over the surface of C60. Scientists wonder if this addition of hydrogen could be a way to store hydrogen as a greener fuel, but so far it's a futuristic idea. Speaking of adding hydrogen to a fullerene, you can entrap molecular hydrogen, H2, inside the cage, making H2 at C60. This is an interesting process. The method was first done in 2005 
by Japanese researcher Koichi Komatsu at Kyoto University. Without going into gory mechanistic details, overall you add a benzene ring with three nitrogen atoms plus two benzenes and a pyridine hanging off to the fullerene, making an exofullerene. This splits open the sphere, leaving a hole in the surface. The molecular hydrogen goes inside the sphere, and then you chemically close the hole, leaving the hydrogen molecule inside. Chemically, H2 at C60 is pretty similar to the empty C60 cage. My guess is that hydrogen is so small that there isn't a lot of orbital overlap between the cage electrons and the hydrogen molecule's electrons, meaning little interaction between the two sets. I don't know a whole lot about the internal structure, but I kind of imagine the hydrogen molecule as a marble rattling around inside the ball. Again, maybe this will lead to hydrogen storage for fuel purposes. Currently, the method to get hydrogen inside is not a simple one, though. Buckyball does have a spectroscopic absorption to light that follows the light output of the sun more or less, so researchers have made some Buckyball solar cells that generate electricity. They aren't as good as many other photovoltaic cells, generating only 5 or 6% of the input light into current. One other interesting chemical application is in polymer chemistry. We've talked of carbon nanotubes as possibly acting like struts in an erector or Meccano building toy, but consider C60 or other fullerenes as nodes or connects toy connectors with double bonds that can connect directly to other fullerenes. This is a real thing now. The first report of polyfullerene was in 1991 by a South Korean research group in physics and chemistry led by Il Chiol Jian. They reacted buckyball with cyclohexadiene, a six-member carbon ring with two double bonds, in benzene solvent, and zapped the mixture with ultraviolet light. They got a polymer of cyclohexene and buckyball. Likewise, they mixed isoprene, a rubber monomer, with C60 in benzene, and hit the mixture with ultraviolet light, and got a polymer. We can make a homopolymer of C60, that is, just connect bonds between the molecules. Generally, this happens by making a pair of single bonds between two sets of doubly bonded carbons on two adjacent molecules. A year later, in 1992, Japanese researchers made an organometallic polymer of palladium metal plus C60. In 1995, a German group led by Holger Frey made a copolymer with end caps of fullerenes. 1996 brought a polymer with fullerene side chains. 1997 brought more C60 molecules included as part of the main polymer chain. And by 2001, a joint Greek-French group studied a star-shaped polymer with the fullerene as the central meeting point for a bunch of organic side polymer chains. Currently, there are no commercial applications for these fullerene polymers, but again, there is research into using them as carriers for cancer drugs, 
for electronics, especially optoelectronics, as semi-permeable membranes and such. In our next episode, we encounter a new type of light-emitting diode, the LED made of organic compounds. Until then, brave the elements! Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.